Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon, and congratulations to Ronnie O'Sullivan, who is still the king of Shanghai. He's not lost there now since 2016. He's won it four times in a row, of course, back there for the first time in four years. But he was, once again, the last man standing. He beat Luca Brassell 11-9 in a very exciting final. It uh, had real moments of uh, well, glorious snooker. There were some scrappy bits as well, not least the last frame. But uh, he's got the job done again, first tournament of the season. As he uh, approaches his 48th birthday, Ronnie O'Sullivan once again has won the Shanghai Masters. And it's the first time a player has won the same event four times since he himself won the Premier League. In fact, five times in a row in the 2000s. It's very rare. I mean, obviously, you know, you go back to Stephen Hendry, he won five World Championships in a row. And indeed, five Masters. But it's very rare for the, a player to win the same event, you know, certainly four times in a row. So congratulations to him. I thought his attitude all week was exemplary. Um, and that's the key thing. He didn't play well all the time. He battled at times, but he hung in there and bought a bit of time for when the A game did come out. And it came out in bursts of inspiration. There were quite a few matches, I think certainly three of the four matches, where he had successive centuries, two centuries in two frames, that just made a difference, changed the whole sort of environment of the match, whole feeling of the match, and indeed the scoreline. John Higgins should have beaten him, let's be clear, um, in that quarter final. He was 5 2 up. Um, and another disappointing reverse for Higgins from uh, a very commanding position. He was a better player in that match until O'Sullivan again dug in and then finished off brilliantly with those centuries. The match with Mark Selby was in the balance, again finished off well. And against Brussel there were moments where you thought it might be turning and Brussel had the momentum. But O'Sullivan once again found a way to win. And we've had uh, a lot of correspondence this week. I'll say right at the start, OK... The snooker joke section, I, I don't like to blow my own trumpet, but it's become a sensation. And we've had a lot of people submitting their own jokes, OK? They want to get get in on the action. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? So next week, we're going to leave it for this week, but next week it'll be a jokes amnesty. So all the jokes that have been sent in, there's a couple of a little blue we're not going to read out, but, but the jokes that have been sent in, we're going to read them out. So there's still time if you've got a snooker joke that you'd like to hear read out 
then uh, send it in for next week and we'll do our best to... Uh, I mean, a lot of them are terrible, but that's kind of in keeping with the feature. So um, the snooker jokes uh, will return next week with listener jokes, OK? But uh, it's a serious business uh, first up. Alpha Bonzi, he said, with, after the World Snooker Tours returned to mainland China for the first time in four years, my three quick questions are, number one, Despite the slightly flat ending, what is it about the Shanghai Masters that brings out the best in O'Sullivan? Well, I'll leave that answer, Alpha, because we've actually had a, we've had another uh, listener write in basically on that point, so we'll come to that shortly. Number two, have you ever been to Shanghai yourself? Not necessarily as a commentator, but in your past life as a World Snooker press officer. Well, no, I've been a couple of times, actually, not for a while. Uh, the second time I went, m- myself and Phil Yates were... Um, we were shown around the city by someone who used to live there, a guy called Rupert Attlee. Now, he was the great-nephew of Clement Attlee, the British Prime Minister, former British Prime Minister. Um, a terrific uh, host he was, taking us around the, the, the venue. He worked for the uh, event management company. It turned out, because this was the day before the tournament, turned out he was supposed to be at the venue, <laughs> sort of helping with the rig. But anyway, he showed us the sights, and we were very grateful. Uh, number three, speaking of, are Beijing planning something bigger and better with the China Open? Uh, returning to the calendar to stick it to Shanghai. Well, it's, it's, it's a nice way of putting it. Um, one would assume that the China Open is under discussion. I don't know the ins and outs of that, but that's the sort of final piece of the jigsaw, isn't it, in terms of getting back uh, the sort of full calendar of events in China. So hopefully next season, you know, that will happen. But uh, I've got no insight on that. Um, but on your point about Ronnie, well, Matthew McConnell has written, he said, I'm a long-time listener, extremely rare emailer. I just thought I would mention a few thoughts I had about this week's snooker, in particular the two finalists. Firstly, Lucas' start of the season, and especially his run to the final, have indicated to me that he's not going to be a one-hit wonder like some other world champions. He hasn't wilted in the spotlight at all, and is in fact more consistently at the latter end of tournaments than before his win in Sheffield. Early days, of course, but it does seem like Luca is here to stay at the top table. Just on that, Matthew, I mean, yeah, he was very impressive, I thought, and he could have won the final, let's be clear. You know, there's a few shots here and there that, that sort of just changed it. I thought, he, I thought he took the match to O'Sullivan, didn't show any fear, he played his natural game. It doesn't always work. It didn't work like it did at the Crucible. But he got close to winning the whole tournament. And one thing about Brussel, age is on his side. He's the only member of the top 16 who's was under 30, which is quite a damning stat, really, when you think about it. I think there's 10 of the current top 16, 10 are in their 40s, you know. So it's a sort of ageing game. And, of course, they're great players, but he's got time on his side because those players surely at some point are going are gonna to go away and it won't all be left for him, but he'll be in a very strong position. Maybe even sort of five years, ten years from now, you could see Luca Brussel. Who knows what he could achieve? You know, I, I agree with you. I think he's definitely here to stay. Uh, Matthew continues, O'Sullivan's victory is incredible to me in a couple of ways. Firstly, he won this tournament playing nowhere near his best for the vast majority of his matches, in my opinion. I I agree with that, by the way, Matthew. I think you're absolutely right. He said, I reckon he was somewhere around 70% of his capacity. Each round felt very reminiscent of the 2021 World Grand Prix in which he beat Neil Robertson. He spent most of the time just hanging in there and keeping with his opponent before launching a barrage of frame-winning breaks in the latter stages. The fact he was able to do this throughout against the calibre of opponent in the tournament is astounding. Secondly, it illustrates just how good O'Sullivan is compared to the rest of the tour when he's invested in a tournament. Even when he's not really playing that well, it seems all it takes for him to be a threat is to simply want to win. It's happened several times throughout his career when he's turned up to a high-profile prestigious event that we know he likes and walks away with the trophy without being at his imperious best. A simple desire to win from O'Sullivan can overcome so many other issues that may be present in his game. For me, that is remarkable. 
For the rest of the tour, it should be frightening. I understand I've not written anything particularly groundbreaking or revelatory about Ronnie here, but Shanghai simply underlined it in a way that I thought I would like to comment on. Thanks for your work on the podcast and in the world of snooker more generally. Well, thank you, Matthew. I think you think you're bang on with what you say there. I think it's very interesting, and I think that. Yeah, being invested in the event is the key thing. And let's be clear, you know, he gets well looked after there. And if promoters want to pay him appearance money, that's entirely up to them. He's, he's earned the right to it. Um, it's up to them to offer it and it's up to him to accept it. He was on his best behaviour all week. You know, he went out and did the opening ceremony. He spoke well. He didn't say anything bad. He just behaved properly. He made a concerted effort to put in a good week's work at the tournament. And what happened? He won it. And you're absolutely right. When he's, when he's like that, we saw it actually when he won his seventh world title. He had that focus, which was, I think, to a large degree, inspired not by actually trying to win a seventh world title, but the, the documentary that was being filmed about him. Um, and he kept his head for that whole tournament. And, you know, you look at a tournament like the Champion of Champions, he always seems to turn up really focused for that one. He knows it's only going to be three days uh, that he's required to, to play. Um, he invariably seems to start on the Thursday, so he's only really there for four days. Um, and he just really knuckles down, and I think he's won it, what, four times? So... Yeah, I think what you say is absolutely right. And and the fact that he can win these tournaments, you know, without playing his A game all the time is quite concerning for some of the other players, I think. I don't think you'll see that focus at every event. I mean, he's, you know, he's quite, quite likely to turn up at Brentwood and start bashing the balls about. We don't know. But when he's got that mentality and that attitude, yes, he can still win any tournament and he's still the man to beat. And let's be clear, there were several chances to beat him last week, but nobody actually did. Now, Tom Milliard, he sent this during the final. He said, I'm between sessions waiting for the Dream Team commentary duo of yourself and Neil Foles to start the evening session of the Shanghai Masters final. Well, thank you, Tom. He said, what a brilliant week it's been with good attendance, enthusiastic but polite audiences, and again, no phones going off. Great players and a good final so far. I always enjoy the additional Hawkeye table views the Chinese hosts provide. Especially useful is when they shade the areas of the table that players can't see when snookered. I have a couple of questions. When qualifying for Chinese events, excluding the Shanghai Masters, of course, most games take place in the UK for obvious reasons, meaning that almost everyone who travels there is guaranteed some winnings to at least cover airfare. But what happens to the four or so players whose matches are held over? It seems really unfair that the world number 100, for example, has to fly over, play the world number one, lose 5-0 and win nothing while incurring the costs of a flight to China, visa, etc. Does World Snooker Tour give financial support in these cases? It's a big difference uh, than spending £50 to drive to Leicester and back for a day. I believe, yes, I mean, obviously we've not been there for a while, but I think that was the arrangement. If you if you, if your match was held over, you did get um, expenses. I can't remember how much it was now, but they definitely get something. So they're not sort of um, out of pocket in that regard. Uh, Tom continues, next, it's nice to see a different type of sponsor for snooker. The Bank of Shanghai is a major company and it's good to move away from the gambling sponsors probably the right move in China at the moment too given the recent player bans let's hope this trend continues talking of sponsorship I'm always surprised to see the lack of personal sponsorship of players from huge companies top 10 snooker players get a huge amount of TV airtime across Europe and China much of it on terrestrial TV generally looking at respectable and can be signed up for long periods of time yet most players uh, have sponsorship from either brands within the sport or local level national companies additionally I find it amazing that players who wear watches on their bridge hand Jack Lazowski springs to mind, don't get sponsored and pay to display. Uh, finally, it's brilliant to hear Fergal O'Brien in the commentary box. Funny, erudite and knows everything there is to know. Also completes Eurosport's home nations team. Fergal for Ireland, McManus for Scotland, Dominic Dow for Wales and Neil Folds, Joe Johnson for England. Uh, 
just on the, I mean, I don't know, but I, I don't know if players get paid to wear watches or not. I mean, Marco Fu had that extraordinary watch for a while, didn't he? So I don't know whether that's exactly right. The logo thing, yeah, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of the logo deals players have. That's personal. I, I'm sure some of them get paid a lot of money. I'm always amazed when you see a player turn up without a logo. It seems a massive missed opportunity. Um, but who is out there kind of trying to get them for them? That's the thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the amount of airtime that they have, it's, uh, you know, you, they should be, surely that's another source of income that they should be sort of exploiting. Phil writes, hello, great podcast, just a shame about the joke section. Now, Phil says this, he actually put a joke on the end of his email. It was a little bit crude, I have to say, Phil, so I'm not going to include it, but, uh, you know, we're a family show. But anyway, uh, he says, I've enjoyed watching some of the Shanghai Masters this week when I've been able to. The same can also be said for all the other non-ranking events, such as the UK, uh, sorry, such as the Masters in the UK, as I'm a lifelong snooker fan who just enjoys watching the game in whatever form it presents itself. I don't know if I'm alone, but I'm always slightly fr- left frustrated that these tournaments don't carry any ranking points to reward the players. I suppose in the case of the Shanghai Masters, for example, an assortment of wildcard players gets to participate, so maybe this wouldn't work with the ranking system as it's an invitational event. However, in the case of the Masters in the UK, only the top 16 players in the world are eligible to play, so this does make it so does this make it any different to the players or tour championship, which do offer extra ranking points to the top 16 or eight players at the expense of the ones further down the echelons who don't get the chance to participate? Well, I think, I mean, there's, some people argue, Phil, that every event should be a ranking event. I don't agree with that personally. And I think there is a difference between the Masters and the Shanghai Masters on one side and the players and tour championship and indeed the World Grand Prix on the other. And it's this. Those events are based on the one-year ranking list. So at the start of the season, everyone is on zero. So theoretically, everyone has the same chance to get into those three events, the World Grand Prix, the Players' Championship and the Tour Championship. In the case of the Masters, and indeed the Shanghai Masters, the field for that is based on the two-year ranking list. So if you're a first-season professional, you've got very little chance of getting in the Masters. I mean, you'd have to probably win a tournament in your first few months as a pro to get in the Masters because you've got no points from the previous year. So it is different, and I have to say I don't think the the status of this event has gone down since it became an invitation event. It was a ranking event for many years. Obviously, you saw lots of different faces there, but I think these events have their place. These elite invitation events, these top players sell the game, okay? And the reward for getting into the top sixteen is to get into events like this. I'd like to see more of them. I'd like to see more ranking events as well. I'm not saying at the at the um, expense of ranking events. But these big events, I said this after the Hong Kong Masters last year, which of course Ronnie O'Sullivan also won. These big events in big cities that put the game on the map. It's interesting, I've had a lot of correspondence this week from people watching this tournament. It's been on the radar of a lot of people, and of course in Europe and, and the UK it's, you know, it's been played in the, in the daytime. A lot of people have been taking notice because of who's in it. Um, and we, we can use these guys to sell the sport. So I don't think it loses anything from being an invitation event. It was just a good week of snooker. As I say, nice to, nice to see more ranking events, but these tournaments have always played their part. We used to have events like the Irish Masters, which was very popular, Top 12, uh, the Scottish Masters, similar format, and various other events as well, just taking the, the leading players of the, of the game um, and showcasing the game. And I think, you know, most people would agree that that was done successfully this week in Shanghai. Phil Spivey, what a great week of snooker. I'm writing ahead of the final, so I don't know who'll win, but what a match to savour between O'Sullivan and Brussel. Do you know why it went from being a ranking event to an invitation event? Whatever the reason, it certainly works. Well, you see there, Phil, he's sort of making my point. Yeah, I do know why, um, to, to answer your question. Um, essentially, it was the tiered system that was the problem. 
because Will Snooker wanted to stick with that. Um, and the promoters in Shanghai said, we want the top players guaranteed. We don't want them going to Barnsley or wherever, Leicester, Sheffield, wherever the, the qualifiers are, and risk losing them. We want them at the tournament. And there was a sort of impasse. And eventually they said, well, OK, we know how we'll get them at the tournament. We'll just put them in the tournament. And they'll be the, basically be the only players in it. And that's what happened. So the, sort of the low-ranked players lost the tournament because of that. Of course, what's happened subsequently is... Um, Sorry, it wasn't the tiered system, was it? It was the flat draw system. It's the opposite, actually. So it was the flat draw, everyone in the 1-2-8 round. But what's happened subsequently is, of course, the UK Championship has changed. <laughs> that has gone to that format where it's the last 32, top 16 and 16 qualifiers. So Shanghai could have had that, after all. Um, but they didn't. Anyway, Phil continues. Tournament has a feel of a really prestigious event. The format and length of matches work really well, I think, from pure playing Achievement winning this kind of event is on par with the UK Championship or Masters. It kind of makes a mockery of the idea of a triple crown or three majors when there are so many events that should carry a similar cachet. Ooh, Phil uh, taking aim at the triple crown there, that's sacred ground. Uh, Fergal O'Brien was a great addition to the commentary team. I hope he continues with Eurosport. Is he a permanent member of the team now? And Alan McManus goes from strength to strength this week filling the role of main commentator presenter for some sessions. The quality of his analysis is top-notch his ability to explain tactical shots and situations is genuinely educational and fascinating. And great work by you as usual. O'Sullivan's performances so far have been quite something. Although not at peak form, his ability to finish matches so strongly is remarkable. It's a sign of true champions, but he's perhaps better at that than anyone. Against Selby, he seemed to accelerate towards the line. Fantastic tournament. Roll on the British Open. Well, indeed, Phil. And, uh, yeah, a lot, we've had a lot of correspondence about Fergal. It was his debut. He's very enthusiastic, as you'd expect, and obviously very knowledgeable, as you'd expect. He did a lot of homework. So we, we met one morning before going to commentate. He was sat with his notepad, filling it with notes, you know, which it's fair to say not, not every commentator has done down the years. So Fergal, um, yeah, he enjoyed himself, and I think people like listening to him. He'll be doing more events. Yes, he will. He'll be doing the Wuhan Open. Um, so we can hear, hear him again there. Uh Brian McGovern, uh, as much as I've enjoyed the coverage so far, I'm a bit annoyed with Eurosport. Just this morning, I was watching the match between Neil Robertson and Luca Purcell when coverage was cut during the last frame and no coverage of the second session. Also, I noticed there was no coverage on Eurosport of the second session of the final. Now, in fairness, uh, I do have Discovery Plus, but some people haven't, and in some cases don't have access to decent broadband coverage, meaning they're losing out in parts of Ireland. Coverage this morning was on Eurosport 2. Neil said in commentary that they were going to coverage of the Vuelta, which was on Eurosport 1. Hope this issue can be addressed with Snooker returned to China after four years. Sorry for the long-winded gripe, as I do enjoy the podcast. Well, the, well Brian, the podcast will be nothing without long-winded gripes. And and that was actually quite short-winded, really. Still a gripe. But, uh, well, this is, an, uh, this is an ongoing issue be, just because there's so much sport on. You know, if you've got two linear channels and five live events on at the same time, then choices have to be made. In the case of this weekend, uh, the, the Vuelta cycling was on its last two days. You know, that's a major event that they do full studio coverage for. And on the other channel, it was the British Superbikes, which is a massive rater. I mean, the, the bike, the motorcycling is the biggest rater on the channel. So in, on this occasion, snooker had to make way. There's been many other occasions where other sports have made way for snooker on the linear channel. But of course now with Discovery Plus, which you, you mentioned you have, you can watch it. It's not like it's not available. And, OK, you say some people don't have it, but some people don't have Eurosport in the first place. I mean, it's much cheaper. I bang the drum a lot, I know, for Discovery+. Plus. It does sound like I'm so, some sort of shill taking a cut. I'm not. I genuinely think it's brilliant. I mean, the qualifiers are on this week. Um, and if you have it, 
in Europe, you can watch all the snooker that's, that the that Eurosport have the rights to without having to worry about being cut off for cycling or, or you know, whatever, you know, football, whatever it is. So th- that's the answer, really. There's a lot of sports on. Decisions have to be made. Quite often, snooker gets the nod. I mean, if you ever see the, the correspondence from fans of the Dakar rally every January when the Masters is on, that programme is always delayed and it's always... Uh, people writing in complaining, as there would be if the cycling went on Discovery Plus and, and not Eurosport, then to be a cycling podcast right now, people would be complaining about that. But as I say, Discovery Plus is the place we, it's all on there, no ad breaks, nothing. You just watch the snooker in your own, uh, little bubble of snooker excitement and, uh, it, it is a good thing, you know, it just is. Uh, Alex Whiting. I'm writing because of how much I'm enjoying the Shanghai Masters so far. As I write, I'm currently halfway through the very good Luca Brussel mark Williams match. It's wonderful to see the fans in China enjoying having the sport back again. They're very respectful and clearly knowledgeable as well. My main question is about the Chinese referees, who've impressed me greatly. Is it a full-time job, given how huge snooker is in China, or do they have regular jobs on top of referee duties? All in all, I'm super excited for the new season. And having recently changed to Sky TV, I now have the wonderful bonus of having Eurosport. So as a snooker tragic, I can't wait to watch all the tournaments previously I couldn't on terrestrial channels. Um, the, the referees, I mean, I, I can't, I, I don't know intimately whether they have other jobs um, or not. Most referees do. There's only a certain number of contracted referees on the World Snooker Tour. Um, but some of these referees, I'm sure, do officiate in China as well. They have their own tour events, as we know. So I'm sure that they are um, involved in all of that. Um, but yeah, they did, overall they did a good job. There were a couple of little incidents here and there, but overall, I mean, I think, for example, Peggy Lee in the final was brilliant. Um, so all credit to them. Nice to see them again, actually. Matt Pickles, I'm emailing in relation to a previous correspondent on the last episode where they stressed their disappointment over lack of commentary on the English-British Wuhan Open qualifiers. When watching the Shanghai Masters last week, I frequently flipped over to Table 2 and noticed there was no commentary on offer there. There were some very high-profile matches on Table 2, such as Selby v. Faye, Murphy v. Milkins, etc. So whilst I can, to some extent, understand the lack of comms on the aforementioned qualifiers, I couldn't quite believe this was the case for such a high-prestige major tournament. Do you know why this is? I expect your answer will be money. So on this subject, I did hear that Eurosport Discovery Plus was doing some cost-cutting this year. Which, what will this mean for the snooker? Will there still be studio coverage for the home nations and triple crown events? Any advice from you is appreciated, and I'm sure this will affect some viewers' decisions as to whether or not they renew monthly subscriptions. Well, it's not just money, actually, Matt. Thanks for the question. Some of it is resources, because the commentary for all these sports that you hear is mainly done from the same place, and there's only so many places, so many booths uh, to commentate from. Eurosport discovery of, uh, merged with TNT, well, merged with BT Sport to create TNT Sports. So suddenly there's a lot more commentary being done from there. I've seen football commentators, all sorts of people knocking around. Um, so that's an issue. It's literally resources. It's, and, and also you have to book the satellite and all, all that sort of stuff that is just there in the background. If there's commentary on a match, there needs to be, um, effectively a producer looking after it as well. So that's another person you've got to pay. So it all kind of stacks up. So I think for this event anyway, uh, the priority was given to the main table. Um, but, for, for example, at the UK Championship, we'll be commentating both tables, as we always do from the World Championship. And that may be possibly something that, that you know, goes into other events. Um, I think some of the coverage of the home nations will look slightly different this year, but there's still going to be um, live coverage of, of, of all the, you know, all day, every day, basically. Um, so 
uh, yeah, I mean, that will be, it's not for me to talk about really, but that will be uh, revealed later on. But it's not, it's not any great, um, it's not any great sort of uh, diminution, if you like. We're still going to be doing live interviews with players and analysis and all, and all the stuff that we've already been doing. Um, we're going to break away for the uh, joke section, which always comes halfway through the podcast. As I say, next week, it'll be listener jokes. Um, so let's see if anyone can match <laughs> the standard of these. These are my jokes. I've written three jokes based on a snooker theme. Number one, which player is the best at origami? Which player is the best at origami? Answer, Neil Folds. Neil Folds. <sighs> Number two, <laughs> how, do mu- how do musical youth play most shots? How do musical youth play most shots? Answer with left hand side. Now, musical youth. The, 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 anyone under the age of fifty, I'm well, not a clue. I'm talking about, but they were look, Google musical youth. The, the 1983 hit. It all makes sense. And uh, number three, which world champion has the best hair? Quiff Thorburn. <laughs> Quite like that one. I, got, I, I won't lie. Anyway, let's get back to the emails. Uh, Sam Thomas. I'm writing this whilst watching the first session of the Selby O'Sullivan semi-final in Shanghai. The whole question of whether Ronnie hit red or black first seems a little unfair to me. Prepare for an incredibly niche and subtle gripe with the rules. Well, if it's niche and subtle, and indeed a gripe, you're in the right place. Rule 3.6 states that if you simultaneously hit a ball on and a ball off, then it's a foul. To me, this moves the onus of proof to the player on strike, O'Sullivan in this case, to prove that there was no foul committed. If the referee is truly unsure, even after replays, then naturally they're more likely to give a foul because of two of the three possibilities – Red, simultaneous, black would equate to a foul. Should we not, as a sport, be assuming innocence unless there's proof of a foul? We always hear and say that players want to win in the right way, and this is why Selby reviewed. He doesn't want to gain an unfair advantage from a falsely called foul. Surely if the rules were changed such that simultaneous hit were legal, we would have this innocent until proven guilty concept, where if you can't prove that there's a foul, then no foul has occurred. Side note. Always love listening to the podcast, but have you thought of other ways that listeners could interact? I know some podcasts where users can send in voice notes, which I think adds some nice variety. I don't know if it's something feasible for Snooker Scene, but I think something like that could be great for a podcast hosted by just one person. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Sam. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's a good idea. Uh, The the problem is it sounds like a lot of effort. (laughs) Um, And uh, as you probably are aware, this podcast contains at the moment zero effort. Um, not least because it's quite a busy time generally, you know. Um, so I can't see that happening in the in the near future, but you know, forever's a long time. Um, in terms of your idea, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what people think. It was a it was a close call. That um, it's a nightmare for referees the simultaneous hit because you know it, it, certainly when you see a replay and it slow right down. I mean, there were people on both sides of the fence about whether it was red first, whether it was simultaneous. Etc. Etc. So it's not easy for the refs, um, but your your idea is an interesting one. Other people will have their own views on it. Donald Murtar, I've noticed sports commentators are very coy about mentioning when they're commentating off tube, i.e., they're not at the venue itself and they're watching the same broadcast footage as the TV audience. Personally, I don't really see why they're so secretive about this. Is there a perception that the TV audience would somehow feel shortchanged if they knew? In fairness to yourself, you've admitted to commentating off-tube on a couple of occasions during the podcast, but I've never heard you mention it during commentary itself. Do you have a strong preference for live or off-tube commentary, and what are the pros and cons of each? I'm assuming you're doing the Shanghai Masters off-tube somewhere in the UK. Uh, And then he says, 
If you do read this email out, feel free to skip the following self-indulgent paragraph. Well, the whole thing's self-indulgent, isn't it, Donal? So I might as well read it out. He says, could you give a shout-out to Connor, a.k.a. Potgun, and Daisy, a.k.a. Goldie Pots, two of your biggest fans living in Rome, or soon to give birth to a daughter they hope will become the first-ever Italian world snooker champion? They never miss an episode of the podcast, are quite fond of Folsey too, although he's very much second in their pecking order of Eurosport commentators. He's probably lower down after I after I dragged him into that joke earlier about origami. But anyway, well, I've mentioned that them, and, and thank you for listening in, in Rome, and I hope all is well with the birth. And, uh, yes, get her playing snooker as quickly as possible. Um, the off-tube thing, here's the thing, OK? So much sport is done off-tube, um, you know, and, view, and viewers... I think, by and large, don't know. And the reason is very simple, because in terms of snooker, if I'm at an event in the commentary box, I'm still commentating off the monitor. I'm still commentating to what you're watching, because you have to, because you have to know what people are seeing at home. Let's just say, for example, and they'd overdo this a bit, but let's say they put the camera on Vicky Selby, Mark's wife. Well, it's nice to mention her, because, you know, that's what you're seeing at home, so you want to reference the picture. And in terms of some sports, I mean, for example, the Open Golf Championship... They'll all be there at the, uh, let's say it's at St Andrews, but they'll be in a cabin round the back from the 18th green. They can't see anything. They're just, they're just commentating off a telly. The Tour de France, they go to France, but they comment, commentate off the telly. Formula One, they're commentating off the telly. They're at the event, but they can't really see anything. Well, I mean, in that sport, obviously, it's cars going around really quick. But it, 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 there's only really sports like football and maybe rugby and cricket where actually being there, you can really, I, I think it enhances the experience because you're much closer to the action. A lot of sports, you know, you're, you're as well doing it off tube, frankly. Um, I don't think there's, I don't think people are coy about it, but I don't think commentators feel the need to say where they are. Um, I'm not sure what difference it makes to people listening, really. Uh, obviously, viewers will be able to say that for themselves, but um, that's it, really. I mean, a lot of sport that you hear on TV is done remotely because it's cheaper. You don't have to install the facilities at the event. Um, but it, it does, I don't think it makes that much difference. What makes a difference, actually, it's not that so much. It's, for example, the European Masters, we weren't in Germany, but the, the commentary, the um, directing, the director was listening to our commentary, so he was directing the picture to what we were saying. Now, obviously, in China, that wasn't the case, because it's a, the Chinese are the host broadcasters. So you're more reacting to pictures being directed for someone else's commentary. Um, that's more of a challenge than being off tube. And I've also I've been to events before now, where the commentary box is not in a great position anyway. You can't really see that much more. Um, I was I was like being at the events. It's good to be there, and you, you do get to pick things up. But, you know, the, the commentary can be done um, perfectly well, I think, off-tube. And, and as I say, so many sports, even if they're at the event, they're not really watching what's happening out the window, as it were. They're watching the monitor, because that's what everyone else is watching. Uh, John says, there's a lot of focus on how to improve the experience of people attending tournaments, and nothing wrong with that. But let's not forget the vast majority of the audience, viewers at home. I'm based in the US and therefore rely primarily on Matchroom's streaming service. This week, the Shanghai Masters is playing on Matchroom, but only Table 1. Why not also Table 2? In some tournaments, Table 1 is available on Darzone here, and Matchroom gets Table 2. That's an issue in itself. But only Matchroom is showing the Shanghai Masters this week. Secondly, on-demand is completely absent, bar some 2021 Championship League highlights. Are you aware of any ambition to make on-demand properly available on Matchroom? Every other sports streaming service I use has it. We, after all, live in the age of watching on-demand. Without it, it's irrelevant. And this week's El Clasico, that's uh, O'Sullivan Higgins, is available on Matchroom as it starts at 2 in the morning, my time. Um, Yes, (coughs) 
I mean, I don't, I, I don't know the ins and outs of how Matchroom Live work. Uh, I don't know what the contracts are, but this this brings into sharp focus something that I have spoken about before, which is that you know, I mean, there's been sort of a few complaints here and there about you know the news on Eurosport or commentary or whatever. We're spoilt in Britain and Europe actually for coverage. You know, it's available. You can find it, and it's relatively cheap, and it's pretty. Um, you know, it works pretty well. That's not true everywhere. I know that fans around the world struggle, particularly in North America, actually, to find a lot of the snooker. This is one of the reasons I was pressing for the qualifying um, commentary to be done on... We did, like, YouTube and Facebook last year, the World Snooker Tour sites for the UK Championship. And that was a massive success in areas like North America because people who'd been starved of snooker and found it difficult to find it suddenly could find it easily, and it was free. And they really enjoyed it. And that strikes me as a good way of... You know, showcasing the sport as well. So I, I'm sorry that you've had trouble following it, but um, it sounds like a bit of a tangle. I do think there are moves from what I've heard to maybe offer a new service in the future. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But um, in the meantime, I hope you can find uh, the British Open, obviously. Yorick writes, uh, do you know what the status is of Mark King? Is there a hearing coming? Is he being helped by the WP say, well, someone asked this a few weeks ago. I mean, the answer is no, but, uh, you know, at some point, clearly there needs to be a hearing because he's been suspended and he can't play and it has to come to a conclusion. So I'm sure that will happen at some point. He also says, will there be a tournament in Belgium coming anytime soon? I went to Lamel a couple of years ago, certainly liked it, although my wife fell asleep quickly. <laughs> well, snooker's not for everyone. Uh, he says, greetings from Cromany in the Netherlands. Well, thank you, Jorrit. Um... Well, we, I mean, obviously, with Luca Brassell's success at the World Championship, Belgium is a place that I'm sure has been looked at. But I think, as has been said before, you know, you, you can't sort of snap your fingers and expect a tournament to fall out of the sky. It does take a lot of work. I think that the lot of credit should go to everyone who's been involved in, in the Shanghai Masters and the Chinese tournaments that are coming. So a lot of work has gone into re-establishing those events. And I wasn't sure they'd all come back at once. I thought we might get one or two, and then next year maybe another one, and it'd be gradual. The fact is, they've all come back this season, bar the China Open, which we hope to have on next season. So we saw Jason Ferguson there from the WPSA, World Snooker Tour uh, executives were there, and obviously the Chinese Bulletin Snooker Association, the promoters, they've all come together. You see them at the end at the prize presentation, and I know that you know it can be a bit formal to British eyes maybe, and go on a bit, a bit of, a, of a while, but there's a lot of work gone into it. And, you know, that, this is good infrastructure for the game. So credit to everyone who, who, who got that event on. But it's not easy. And I'm sure they're looking at uh, at Belgium um, and Europe. There are certain considerations, though, uh, around sort of broadcasters. You know, would a British broadcaster, for example, want to show a tournament in Europe where the production costs would be higher than they would be in Britain? So these are, these are considerations that... Um, have to be thought about but you know let's hope so it'd be great wouldn't it if Luca walked out while still world champion and you know had the acclaim of his home crowd it'd be fantastic finally this week Reese Avenue I wanted to send a brief email as I've been a listener of yours for the past year and thought I'd let you know how much I appreciate the effort you go to making this podcast I'm a window cleaner in Edinburgh and I constantly listen to podcasts such as yours when I'm working and it makes a massive difference in keeping me motivated your podcast is brilliant, and I feel you really listen to the average snooker fan and give fair views of all things with the game. I'm going to the UK Championship final with my dad, and I can't wait for it. Looking forward to watching the Shanghai Masters and hearing your views on it after. All the best from up north. 
Thank you, Reese. Very kind words, actually. There, thank you. And um, although your window window cleaning, there's a there's a frame joke there that I might I might have to make in future for this for the joke section. Um, but it's very kind of you. Now, of course, you may have seen this news this week. The World Snooker Tour podcast is coming back, like Haley's Comet. It's returning, um, and it's big actually because Stephen Hendry's on it. So that's a massive signing for them, and shows actually a bit of ambition, I think, which is good. Um, he, you know, he's obviously a legend in the sport. We know he does good work on Q-tips. He's always entertaining in his punditry on the BBC and ITV. So to have Stephen Hendry on it, that's a good signing. Um, the other chap is Mark Watson, who's a comedian. Now, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, and indeed, I'd have to be a raging narcissist to think that they booked a comedian because of the sudden success of my joke section. I'm not saying that. But the fact is, Mark Watson is a comedian. He's the other presenter. Uh, I believe the first episode is out on Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be fortnightly. And we'll see. I mean, I can't say anything about it until I've heard it, but it sounds very promising. Um, it's a bit of the World Snooker Tour podcast. It's a bit like Doctor Who. It regenerates every two years. And this is the latest version of it. So uh, let's see if it's um, let's see if it's Tom Baker or... Uh, I'm trying to think of a lousy Doctor Who. I'm not going to say, because that's not, not fair, is it? But um, anyway, people have their own ideas on that. But... Uh, yeah, so, as I say, good luck to them, um, and it's good to have more content. Um, the only thing I would say is, it, I think it would have been nice, because they haven't released an episode for five months, okay? It would have been nice if they could have shown a little bit more support to the snooker podcasts that have been produced in that time. I'm not just talking about this one, there's lots of them, and people will know what they are. People are making an effort in their own time to promote the game. It's not always um, for highest production values, as you can hear. Um, but we are all making an effort, and we're a part of a community doing that. You know, Will Snooker, they do tend to sort of act as if, you know, if they're doing something, it's the only thing being done. That's not the case. They haven't done anything for five months. So while I welcome their return, it would have been nice to have, for them to have acknowledged some of the other work that's been done. One thing I will say, though, is that I do think they're stepping their game up, not just with that podcast, but also at the weekend coming up before the British Open... They're doing two days of, of media with the players in the tournament. Um, and so, for example, you know when you watch the football on Sky, they have the green screen, the players walking in, all that sort of stuff. The snooker's kind of been lacking. They're doing that, photo shoots, other stuff. And the players should embrace that. I was talking to Fergal about this, actually. I don't think I'd mind me saying. And he was saying exactly that. He said, you know, players can't complain that snooker isn't being promoted properly and then when a chance comes along to do more sort of be sniffy about it. So I'm sure most of them will embrace it. It's all part of trying to push the sport forward. And it's good, I think, that World Snooker are actually moving forward in that direction now. There does seem to be things happening. Um, I mean, obviously, the scoring is still a bin fire. But, <laughs> but you know, in terms of moving forward and sort of how where we're going to be maybe a year from now, I do see, personally, good signs. And uh, I wish them all the best with the, uh, with the old podcast. Now, as I say, next week, the joke's amnesty. So if you want to get any in, do send them in. Snookerscenepodcast.mail.com. Snookerscenepodcast.mail.com is the address. And also, now we're coming up to, unbelievably, in a couple of weeks' time, about three weeks' time, the eighth birthday of this very podcast. Oh, we've been going a while. We've been going a while. A lot of people have been saying, you know, we thought we'd have seen you off by now, but we're still here. And what I thought was, okay, the number eight. I thought, how can I commemorate it with that? And then I thought, ah, I've got an idea. Eight players, quarterfinals. What would be your fantasy quarterfinal lineup? So, any, taking players from any era, 
a player at their best. So let's say Joe Davis at his best, put him in there. Stephen Hendry at his best. Ronnie, John Higgins, whoever it is, they can be niche players. Whoever you want to choose, eight players, you can do the draw yourself. Give us fantasy quarterfinalists for a fantasy tournament. Effectively, not necessarily the eight best players ever, or even your eight favourite, but what would be an interesting lineup? What would be an interesting match? Um, you know, to, to play. We won't play the whole tournament because there's only, only so much time, uh, to do these podcasts, but do uh, let us know your sort of fantasy quarterfinal lineup. This may fall flat on its face. I don't know, but it may, some people may be interested. Um, and any other issues? Uh, of course, we've got international championship qualifying this week live on Discovery Plus. Then we go to the British Open. Now, next week, apart from the jokes amnesty, because we need more than that to fill an episode, I will be going through my personal uh, top 10 British Open finals. So if you've got any memories of the British Open, because it's a long-running tournament, um, do let us know. I'll be doing my top 10 countdown. Uh, I mean, people won't be able to sleep (laughs) with the anticipation. Um, But that's coming up. So uh, that's it for this week. Congratulations again to Ronnie O'Sullivan. Thanks for all the correspondence. Do keep uh, it all coming in. Send us your jokes if you really must. And that's it. As I say, it's been uh, an entertaining week of snooker. We'll do it all again next week. But for now, as we always say, goodbye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.